This is Paul Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. At Gallant Says on Twitter. Text into the show at 710-710. Oh, hello and welcome aboard the most interactive sports talk show in Seattle, in Washington, nay, the world. I am Paul Galland. I've got you all the way up to 11 o'clock on this Monday, April 12th of 2021. How about your Seattle Mariners over the weekend? Wasn't looking too hot going into this weekend. Am I wrong? I mean, that was, whoa, concerning. And we introduced the Seattle Mariners Sunshine Scale trademarked. Got to roll out some T-shirts on Friday, and I was feeling at about a two. I suppose that I'm going to be going up and down super overreactively for the entirety of this season. Because now I'm at a five. It was great to see the Mariners actually have some pop at the plate. In these last two games, a 4-3 win over the Twins on Saturday and the 8-6 come from behind. Down six runs win over the Twins to wrap up their series with Minnesota taking two of three just yesterday. So now they go on to play the Baltimore Orioles. We will see how this team is able to fare the rest of the way they have been up and down at the plate I would say the lineup you would expect to perhaps continue this but in only specific spots and I would say with Kyle Seeger maybe he's able to maintain this level of play with Ty France maybe he's able to maintain this level of play whatever the case I'm all of a sudden nitpicking I don't want to do that what we saw yesterday was fantastic and it was all wrapped up with this Kyle Seeger home run. Colomay, deep side, delivers. Here's a swing and a fly ball into right center field and deep going back as Buxton looking up and this one is gone. Goodbye baseball. It kept going and going and going. Kyle Seeger with a three-run home run here in the top of the ninth inning. Second home run of the day. Drives in his second, third, and fourth run of the ball game, and the Mariners now lead it 8-6. to six. Holy smokes, what a comeback for the Mariners this afternoon here in Minnesota. And what a performance by Kyle Seeger at the plate. Four for four, two home runs, that home run which you just heard. And now his average, up to 314. His OPS almost at 1,000 right now, 927. You're looking at him, and you're seeing a guy that, is maybe playing up to that contract of his? So I have a question for you on the most interactive sports talk show in Seattle and Washington, nay, the world. This is the last year of Kyle Seeger's contract. Unless the Mariners were to trade him, then another year of his contract kicks in with whatever team ends up bringing him in. If he keeps playing this way, should the Mariners extend him? Now, we already had a response on Twitter, a snide response. It comes courtesy of Matt. What a waste of time. The guy's OPS the last four games is 1688, or 1588, 400 points better than Babe Ruth's career, so there's no chance he, quote, keeps playing this way. Yeah, I, I, I know that. Calm down. But if he's actually able to consistently put together the kind of at-bats that you saw on Sunday occasionally, have that kind of a game. If you go four for four with two home runs, I mean, that is that is 100% worth getting paid almost $20 million a year. But you're 33 years old, and you take a look at the future of this team. Do you want to give this guy a big-time extension, or do you want to say, you know what, trade deadline time? Let's see what we can get in return. And I don't know that you're going to get that great of a return for him. That's the other thing about this. Because of that weird 
extra year that comes in on a contract if he were to be traded elsewhere. How many teams are going to want to take on his contract for a year plus? So you might actually be in a situation where, yeah, you would like ideally to perhaps move him for some prospects at the trade deadline if he continues to play this way. But why not just, I don't know, have him? Why not just, I don't know, extend him? I don't know if it's sustainable. And then honestly, if you take a look at just the way that he has hit this year, seven of his hits have come in two games. Two really good games. He had that game against the White Sox where he went three for four. He had three runs batted in in that game. There have been a lot of performances this year, games this year, where he hasn't really done anything. So it's not as if, as, as if this is consistent. It's more every now and then he is going bonkers at the plate. And is that good? Is that something that you would be willing to extend if you were the Seattle Mariners? I think it is something that they should definitely consider. And I don't know when you start those conversations. Maybe you start those conversations now. But considering the guy has been here as long as he has been here, I felt like at times last year he looked like the kind of player that they were hoping to get when they signed him to that contract. And I don't know if an MVP candidate. Maybe that's a little bit extreme. But I felt like last year there were moments where he really was productive and I think a very reliable piece. That was such an up-and-down year for everybody, Kyle Lewis included, where there was a moment where I believe Kyle Seeger was actually hitting at a rate that, you know, looked very respectable. Then all all these guys went through a bit of a slump towards the end of it. But I look at Seeger. I look at the way that he has opened up this year. Not consistent, but dominant when he is on his A game. And I'm of the belief that, you know what, why not give him an extension? I don't think he's going to be asking for the same rate that he got. And maybe he's a little bit bothered by the Kevin Mather comments. Maybe there's a Kevin Mather tax of some sort that needs to take place. But I think that's a guy that you definitely think about it. Text in 710-710. Yes, extend Seager. He's always been consistent, and his experience is invaluable in the clubhouse. But another texter says, trade Seager, get what you can. He will end up hitting 230 or 240 by the end of the year. Statistically, that is accurate. If you just take a look at the entirety of his career. He's off to a hot start right now. But he's in that weird, weird, tricky spot where, yes, you are going to have, likely, a lot of young players that are rising the ranks. Some of them are going to work out. Others are not. I don't think it's the worst thing in the world to have the occasional veteran that you are deciding to pay money. And I don't think that you're going to have to pay top dollar to keep him around. And I just like the way that he played yesterday so much that it made me think, you know what? This is a guy that you'd probably be better off with than without. And if you're not able to get the kind of prospects that you want, which I think are going to be really difficult to get at the trade deadline... And you keep him around. It's the most interactive sports talk show in Seattle and Washington, nay, the world. 710-710 is how you text in. You can tweet me, too. Akalant says, J-Rock tweets in, as much as I like him as a player, he's really the last pillar of the old regime. It's time to move on. That's a weird way of looking at it. The last pillar of the old regime. Is it a bad thing to have a player that's been here for a decade plus? I mean, honestly, if all of a sudden the team starts winning... That's a guy who can definitely appreciate the winning. That's also a guy who, since he has been here for a long period of time, knows the way things are. So I can understand where maybe there are some sour feelings that he might have just over the totality of his, of his experience getting paid aside. It's been hard. It has definitely been hard, I imagine, for Kyle Seeger to be here this entire time. Uh, Jeremy tweets in, anyone who says no to extending Kyle Seeger if he continues to play like this, should be immediately hung up on. I, I don't think you go that far with it. Like, I understand the argument against it. He's 33 years old. Are you going to get those same returns? 
going forward? I, honestly, I don't know. And, and again, it's only a couple of days at the plate that he's played well, but he's been so good at those days at the plate. And I'm just thinking to myself, you know what? This guy's going to be a help in your lineup. And are you really going to be replacing him anytime soon? I guess like maybe that makes it a little easier to figure out where you put Ty France in the field. But I don't know, man. There's, there's, there's something about with what you've seen to begin this year where I'm feeling, you know what? Why not, why not start the conversation right now? Text in 710-710. Kyle Seeger is in conversation as the best third baseman in Mariners history. Not a huge extension, but I think they should keep him around. Another texter loves Seeger, but he's got to go. Free up the payroll and sign pitchers. France can play third base. I think we assume that these prospects are all going to succeed a little bit too much. And maybe, honestly, a lot of you probably don't even feel that way, given the history of this team and some of the struggles that we have seen from some guys when they have come up to the majors, like Dustin Ackley. When you have something that is like a good, consistent day-to-day player, why not? Why not extend him? 7-10-7-10. Extending Seeker now would certainly induce a long slump, classic Mariners sequence. Another text, are we really debating extending the contract we have wanted off the books for the last four to five years? Yes, seriously. If he's playing well, what's the harm? When you have all these young players coming up, what's the obstacle that it creates? doesn't really create much of one. I think that you got to look at it from the perspective of this guy is a known commodity. Is he great? No. Is he good? Yes. And he's been giving you some really good performances, great performances, amazing performances this season. So I think about extending him. But you get to answer that question again. It's the most interactive sports talk show in Seattle, in Washington. Nay, the world. 710-710. We'll take some of your calls at 1015 when you get a chance to be heard. This hour of the Paul Gallant Show is brought to you by Advanced Hair Restoration. It's 1010. That means it's time for What's Trending, brought to you by Kings Heating and Air with Maura Dooley. Maura, what's going on? Happy belated birthday, Paul. Thank you very much. I enjoyed watching the Masters and Mariners at the same time. I've got this set up in my apartment where I have two TVs. I've always wanted this like a little boy, basically the entirety of my life. And I was super excited to actually get that thing set up. So, like, one's hanging above it. It's smaller than there's one underneath. Nice. So, had a couple of friends over. We watched that. And then I uh, wandered around in um, the sunny, beautiful, yet frigid Seattle weather yesterday. Yeah, I kind of experienced that this weekend, too. Sat on a patio, and I was like, it's so nice out. But then as soon as the sun goes behind the clouds and the wind kicks in, you're like, oh, we're not quite there yet. It's brutal. It's <laughs> brutal. Uh, I went to Pono Ranch on Saturday, and I'm sitting out there in the open, and I thought I was in the sun, and all of a sudden, yeah, you're right. It moves just a little bit, and all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, man, I should have brought a coat. Yeah, it's that time of year where you can get tricked a little bit, but we're, we're almost to warmer weather, I think. Hopefully. Last last April was a lot warmer. That was my first April. And I was like, oh, you guys talk about how it's cold here all year long. Come on. It's not that bad. Now I'm like, all right, I get it. Well, part of that is we don't want people to know how nice it is in the summer. Yeah, so you don't want people to come here? Yeah. Yeah, I understand that. <laughs> Keep those outsiders away, those those dumb Texans. <laughs> like me. Anywho, uh, what's going on, Mora? Our first up, we have uh, Mariners GM Jerry Depoto went on Sirius XM Radio with Jim Bowden yesterday, and he talked a little bit about some of their prospects because the minor league season hasn't started yet, working in this co-op league in Arizona, trying to get them the experience that they need, and um, here is him talking about the plan with Kelnick. I had a very lengthy talk with Jared, and we talked through the things that we would like to see him accomplish, in addition to getting experience at the upper levels in general. 
we were specifically de- detailing, you know, an approach against left-hand pitching. And you know, it, by no fault of his own, he just hasn't had an opportunity to see uh, the lefties at the top of the, the, the league, you know, at double-A, triple-A, major league level lefty. And, you know, that's something he's going to have to adjust to. We don't think it's going to be an issue that gets in his way. We're trying to accelerate that development with some of what we're doing uh, in April down in Arizona, be it in these co-op games or with our minor league games. That part about the left-handed pitching, that part is interesting. And that part to me means that we're not going to see Jared Kalnick for a bit. Which stinks, especially with the way that they're playing right now. Wow, if they were to add Jared Kalnick to this lineup, how much better could it be? But if he has to work on his approach against lefties... How much of that are you going to get in this little hyper hyper elite fall league that they are currently playing in right now? And who knows when the AAA season is going to start, too, which is the worst part about this whole thing, that the pandemic has delayed yet something else. So that's what I took away from that, more is that you heard him say that he has to go up against lefties. And that means he's going to need an extended stay in the minors. All right, our next story is uh, Hideki Matsuyama hanging on to win the Masters. But, Paul, I I feel like you you weren't – that's not who you were rooting for. Yeah, you know what? I I was rooting for Matsuyama at first because I just haphazardly picked a bunch of guys for this golf pool, and I was in second place for a little bit. I came in third ultimately, and I don't get any money because of that. What? We don't do that here. I was really bummed out for Xander, and I – Butchered his name pronunciation earlier. Yeah, I was going to let you do that. <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm a little nervous to do it. Xander. Shafel? Shafel? Shoffley. Sorry, that's bad. Whatever the case, listen, the guy had a triple bogey on 16. He was coming for Matsuyama. It was going to be a dramatic finish. And then you get that close, you're on a roll. You hit birdie after birdie after birdie after birdie after birdie. And then, boom, triple bogey. That's got to be the worst feeling in the world. And... If I were in his shoes, I don't think that I would want to have had the torrid finish that I had, only to all of a sudden just mess up there. And I think anyone who has played golf, there's nothing worse than feeling like you are in a groove, and then all of a sudden you just butcher it. Like anyone who has played golf, this happens to you all the time. I actually broke my best club because I was frustrated after a birdie. I had a birdie. I was so pumped about it. My next attempt, I just sliced the you-know-what out of the ball throw my club on the ground, the head fell off. I was even more mad about that. When you have a run of success only to screw up in golf, it's infuriating. And if I were in his shoes, I would have been uh, very, very bummed out. I always say that that's why I think golf is so addictive to people. Because you can, as as opposed to some other sports skill sets, I feel like it's one of the ones that you can never really master. Like, even the best in the world can just have a completely off day. And And I guess that happens in other sports, but I feel like more so in golf. Yeah, and, and I don't, I don't, you know, you said it's addictive. I, so I'm not the biggest golf enthusiast. I golf, but I'm not the I'm biggest not either, golf enthusiast. But some people just could play every day, right? And I'm, and, and to me, uh, the failures there when, when it's a sport that makes you more angry than it makes you happy. <laughs> it's a weird, it's it, and it's expensive. It's a weird dynamic on top of that, and that's one of the things where I always look at it and I think to myself, okay, it's a sport that if I worked on, I think I could be decent at. But it's a sport that's expensive to work on. And it's a sport that, while you're working on it, is probably the most frustrating sport to work on. Like basketball or or any sport like that, soccer or football. Like, 
you know the specific steps that you need to take. You know your own limitations. Golf is just like you have to think about a million things when you're swinging it. Yeah, I agree, and I think that's but I think that's why some people just do get addicted because they're searching like that personal best that they can never get back to. Or yeah, it's frustrating. Very frustrating game. I feel for you, Shoffley. How dare you pronounce his name correctly? Writes a texter. Thank you. I actually got it. I was I was nervous there. I had to scroll down in the text line to get the pronunciations before that we had because everyone's like, "Paul, you can't speak his name." And I was like, "I'm sorry. I thought I could have sworn that I heard it as that yesterday while I was watching the broadcast." Another texter was like, "Well, classic person talks about golf one time a year." Yep, that's what happens. That's how it works. Welcome yeah, to Sports Radio. Lie and say I'm a golf fan. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. I, I'll, I'll watch like three majors, maybe. I don't watch the British one. I refuse to. That's another story for another day. All right, guys, it is 1017-206-421-3776 is how you call in. You can text in to 710-710 or tweet me at Galan says on the most interactive sports talk show in Seattle and Washington, nay, the world. The question of the day, if Kyle Seeger keeps playing this way, should the Mariners extend him? Again, 206-421-3776, it's time for you to be heard. Your voice, your opinions. It's time to be heard. Every day at 1015 with Paul Gallant. Be heard. Text in. Matsuyama broke his putter and was using a driver for a putter? Wow. I did not see that. God, that sounds like it would be absolutely miserable because those things are not very easy to use as far as putting things. This has been Paul talking golf. This has been. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> you, you know what? Uh, hot take. You don't want to putt with the driver. You're welcome. Insight that you can't get anywhere else. Uh, so some text in response to the question about Kyle Seeger. Seeger played awesome yesterday, but he's always been very streaky and inconsistent. Yeah, that's the vibe I've gotten out of him. There are moments where he really looks like he's... And I would say he, he starts off the season pretty slow. We all know that. And he's had two games this year where he's been great. Outside of that, it has been rather inconsistent. I'd rather have that inconsistency, though, than we have in other spots of this lineup here. Because there are a lot of spots in the Mariners lineup where I look at right now and I almost think of them as a whole. And some of these young players, yeah, they might be able to come up and fill that void, but some of them won't. And I don't think we can assume all of them are going to come up and, and, and end up being good. And I guess Marte has to be for that to actually work out for that. Uh, text in 710-710. At some point, the Mariners need to move on from the veterans. Seager's been great defensively. Keeping him for defense is good, but the longer you keep him, the worse the logjam of developing the young prospects at third base. And you need more infield prospects to rebuild. We have a ton of good outfield prospects, but at some point you need to build a roster through prospects. I get that, but when you have a guy that is actually good, I do feel like you should keep him around. And I think that if he is able to give you a season where he's giving you the power that he's given you and hitting around, I don't know, 240, 250 or something like that, I think that's huge to have. Some other texts, 710, 710. Another texter says, okay, it was Siwoo Kim who had the three wood, and he was using a three wood to putt after he broke his putter. How do you break your putter? Like, the only way I can think of being able to break your putter would be if you smash it against a tree or something like that. Otherwise, I feel like those things are pretty sturdy. You're going to break your putt, like, in the midst of an actual uh, stroke. That would be something else. Text in 710-710. We love C's in Seattle, but I feel as though we have been waiting for his potential to hit since he got here. Well, I doubt you're waiting anymore. He starts to do great, and he gets injured. 
or has a horrible slump. His ceiling is a nine, but he never can get past six. That's an interesting way to characterize it. And honestly, given what I've seen, I don't disagree with you. 206-421-3776 is how you call in. Robert in Bellevue does not want to re-sign Kyle Seager. Robert, what's going on, man? Oh, hi. Um, Paul, I just wanted to say, yeah, definitely no. Um, he's <laughs> never met the expectations when we signed him. Uh, he's a, I don't go by analytic stats. You know, I know that some people are going to throw out that war stats or his hit velocity. I don't go by that. I just go by when we needed critical hits, Seager was a whiff. And but what about, what about yesterday? Yesterday's great. And if there's any chance we could get some you know, deep prospects off him, do it. You know, I say trade him as much as you can. If not, just don't even re-sign him next year. If he plays this well, someone will be willing to give up prospects for him. And if he continues like that. And I think we all are probably expecting him to, you know, not have this performance every single night. If he did, oh my goodness, it's the best contract in baseball. And then you definitely think about extending him. I'm not sure you're going to get that great of a prospect in return from Robert. I think that's, that's my question. Because of the way that the contract is set up, where if he gets traded, it's an extra year added to the contract. Okay, well, I want your other callers or anyone else to answer this question. If Kyle Seeger was such a great third baseman, he was you know, well-respected and great hitter and all that, then how come no one else wanted him when we were putting him up for sale? No one wanted him. It's a good question. It's the contract, I think, mostly. And appreciate the phone call, Robert. So if you want to answer that, 710-710, he has challenged you. It's a good question. It is a very expensive contract, considering the returns that you have gotten. It's not to say that he has been bad. He hasn't been bad. Some people, I think, have overstated that. But he is making a lot of money, and I think to Kevin Mather's point that he made at that Bellevue Rotary Club breakfast, he is a little overpaid. But when you are in a spot where you're basically paying no one, is it really the worst thing in the world to extend him maybe one, two years or something like that? When you have a pretty good idea of what he is? Or do you just want to move on from him entirely? I will say, have you noticed that with a lot of the interviews that we did this offseason with the younger guys, uh, when they talk about what they're learning from the veterans, his name comes up every single time. See, that's valuable to have, Mora. And you don't want to have a clubhouse where it's just all young guys. You don't. Now, Mitch Hanniger's back too, so that's big. But you do want to have, I think, some veterans around. The interesting thing, though, and I think the counterargument to that would be, all right, he's a veteran, he's been here a while, but has he ever been around a real winning team? And, I mean, just the history of this team would say no. I mean, a couple of years ago, yeah, they were, they were kind of close. Kind of. But, I mean, like, if they made the playoffs, what was going to happen there? You had no realistic expectations of them actually doing any damage. His brother has. Does that count? Corey Seager? Corey <laughs> Seager's awesome. Corey, I mean, here's, here's an interesting one, and this is, like, really conspiracy theory-ish. Mora, but like, oh, we have him around. Maybe we're a better shot to land Corey Seager in free agency. So I suppose you could you could bring that up. I bet if you did extend him, though, that maybe Corey would would at the very least like pick up the phone if you were to call him. Seven ten seven ten is how you text in. Coming up next, Michael Bumpus is going to join me in the sports pit live in the flesh in person. If you have a question for Michael Bumpus, 710-710 on the text line, tweet me at Gallant says it is the most interactive sports talk show in Seattle and Washington. Nay, the world! It's 1030. 
And that means it's time to get in the sports pit. In the pit where all that stuff goes down, and if you don't have some freaking toughness, you're going to get your, you're going you're gonna to fail. With Paul Golovkin. And joining me in the sports pit, he's actually here. It's Michael Bumpus. This is amazing. Man, I'm looking at Paul Gallant, not through a screen. I'm actually looking at the man. What's going on? Not a whole lot. Do you know that in the amount of times that I've done shows here, I have probably had another person in studio with me like less than 20 times, maybe less than 15 times. It's just been me by myself in this glass case of emotions. Sounds lonely, man. But you got you got Dooley, though. Dooley got you. But it's not in the same room, you know. Yeah, and there's a wall, and like she can like ignore me if she wants. Like I have to talk. I have to press I a button to talk time. to her. Yeah. <laughs> See, like as you can hear right there, it's not cool. So, uh, bump on Friday, you were in with Stacy, and you talked about something pretty interesting. There's a piece up on 710sports.com about it. You were asked what the Seahawks should use their first pick on, and you went in the direction of a position that. Maybe isn't the number one need when you're thinking about them because you're thinking about the offensive line, protecting Russell Wilson. You went in a different direction. What direction did you go in? I went with the wide receivers, man. I, just because we don't know what the, who the number three receiver is going to be. We think it could be Freddie Swain. I think Freddie could get it done, but there are so many good receivers out there. I've looked at tape about 15 receivers, and I'm like, if any of these guys are available, you got to take a chance on them. I think we spoke about, I don't want to butcher his name, Diami Brown kid from University of North Carolina, he's a baller. I think he might slip. There's Eskridge, the guy from West, Western Michigan. He might slip. So just because there's a question at that third receiver spot, I think competition is always good. And say that guy comes in, whoever it is, if they do go that route, and he holds down the number three position, well, now you got four receivers because Freddie Swain can play ball as well. Freddie Swain is the one that I'm wondering about. I liked him in spots last year. I guess I don't really know what – about him stands out and maybe you could notice a little bit better than me but I felt like hey look considering this is a guy who was a late round draft pick he he showed up when he was asked to do things he never he never cost the Seahawks he was always I think in the right place doing the right thing that's the life of a receiver is that your success is so contingent on a bunch of other things happening so people can say well what did Freddie Swain do last year he we didn't see much of him I think he did the most with his opportunities a couple touchdowns I believe a couple of first downs and you hear the Hawks talk about this guy. He can play every position. When I was in the league, I focused on one position to start. I'm like, look, I'm going to learn this slot, and then I'll expand outside. Freddie came in and said, look, Coach, I already know three positions, so get me going. He's good when he catches the football. He can run. He was a returner for the University of Florida, um, and he's just reliable. And that's half the battle. If you're reliable at, at any position in the NFL, you should get more opportunities. That returner position is one that we haven't really talked about either. When was the last time that the Seahawks had like a really terrifying returner? You know, because Tyler Lockett, when he's back there, you're like, yeah, but yeah. you don't put him back there very often because I think there's a hesitance about whether or not he's going to, you know, if that's going to cost him if he gets maybe injured because of it, which is weird. It feels like the Seahawks aren't the only team that does that. The NFL, like, seems scared of putting the best returners out on the field to actually return kicks. Yeah, because you don't want, want – you imagine what the 12s would be like if Tyler Lockett got hurt, especially at this time in his career, as a returner. It's just an unnecessary risk. Because when you're a returner, the main thing is possession. If you can keep possession, then that's a win. Don't fumble the ball. Um, fair catch it if you have to. That's what they're looking for. And the last time the Hawks had a returner that I was like, okay, he can go to the house, was Percy Harvin. And he did it in the Super Bowl. Other than that, was it Leon Washington? I think was a returner for a while. He had a couple big returns. But they're hard to find, especially in today's game where kickoffs, you don't get too many kick returns. Pump returns is where it's at. If you're going to see a big play in a return game, it's going to be a pump return. Yeah, it's been a while. And, and you know, 
that used to be a real difference maker in the game. And I remember Devin Hester and, and uh, Dante Hall, uh, those guys having just incredible careers. It is difficult to find, and it feels like, too. Tyreek Hill, we saw him in a couple of spots like yep. that as a returner. But, yeah, then again, they, they move him away. It's weird, though. I mean, are you more at risk to get injured as a returner than you are as a wide receiver? Pump return is a scary situation. Right, you're back there. I, I've, now I've, I've done it. I remember my first pump return in the NFL. It was against the 49ers. And I caught the football. And I remember about five veterans from the 49ers just surrounding me, barking at me like dogs, like le- legit barking at you. It's a scary situation. It's hard to find a good returner because you've got to have a guy who has a couple screws loose. They're kicking a the ball. It's going to hang in the air for four and a half, five seconds. And you're trusting that the other ten men on the football field are going to do their job and block. Um, so it, it's tough to find returners, and it's almost like you stumble across them. Like we stumbled across DJ Reed last year when it came to returning. I think if they allow him to do returns, he's going to take one to the house. But the more important he is to this defense, the less they're going to roll the dice and put him back there to return kicks. I felt really good about him in that last game of the season, and then he had the fumble. Yeah. and Because I, I, I felt like he, yeah. he had this confidence about him where all of a sudden, yeah, I, I, maybe I can take some risks, and then you fumble there. He's got to be mentally tough. Well, that's a, that's a good point. We'll see how he comes back from that. I remember I fumbled against the Rams. I scored a touchdown that game, and then I fumbled. In the next game, I believe it was against the Giants. I had to pretty much try out for punt return again. Oh God! Undrafted free agents. They're like, look, all right, yeah, he fumbled. Let's bring somebody else. And they bring in Sammy Parker. They bring in all these guys, and I won the job. And it was strictly because I had done it so much in college. I'm like, okay, I muffed one in college. I got out my system. Let's go. So, but I think you listen to DJ talk, he's a confident guy. He believes in himself. So I don't think he's worried about it. I think he wants another opportunity, but they're definitely going to bring guys in to compete. 710-710 if you have a question for Michael Bumpus. Bumpus hanging out with us in the sports pit. So I've, I was made aware of this by a texter. Someone at the Masters was very upset, broke his putter. Yes. And he had to putt with a three-wood because apparently per the rules – you are not allowed to replace your putter if you break your club in anger. You can only replace your club if you break it in a moment of, I suppose, uh, just action, which is something new that you learn every day. Have you ever broken a club? No, I haven't. I've, I've pondered throwing a club into the lake, but no, I've, I've never broken a club. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I was hoping that somebody else would say that they have broken a club because I have broken a club. I broke it in a fit of rage. Not a good moment. Which club? The driver problem? It was my favorite club. It was my three-wood. <laughs> And this has been talking golf with Paul Gallant, where he throws a club, and it does not go so well. Um, so, you know, I'm curious what you think about this situation in Philadelphia. I've never seen someone like Howie Roseman in any other circle in the NFL be able to survive as many things as he has survived. To hear that Doug Peterson, in this piece by Shield Capetia, was essentially, on Tuesdays, meeting with ownership and meeting with the GM to talk about what he had done as a coach after having won a Super Bowl? Crazy. Mind-boggling. I've, I've never heard of anything like that. You win a Super Bowl, you got at least a couple years, right, to where uh, you've earned some trust. You show them that what you do uh, translates into the football field to where you shouldn't have to be meeting with owners and looking over your shoulder. That's ridiculous. Who wants, who wants to work under those conditions, especially when you've done what every NFL coach in the league in the world wants to do, which is win a Super Bowl? I can imagine the stress that that guy went home to. Doug Peterson, you know what? We need to, we need to send thoughts out to his wife because the wifeys get all of it, right? He takes that stress home, and he's grumpy. 
I wouldn't want to work in that environment. So with Sirianni, next up, good luck, baby. Yeah, especially him. Like he's going to have even less power. Yeah. Like that guy won a Super Bowl, and this guy is. I mean, I had never heard of him. Not that that means he was not a good coach. I'd never heard of him though until essentially they had hired him. Uh, text in. This is a question for you. This is the listener question of the day, Michael Bumpus. What is your favorite punt return story as a Washington State Cougar? Favorite punt return story. All right, so it was the third game of the season. I went up to Wazoo. I was a big recruit, supposedly. And um, I got interviewed by a newspaper. And this is my first media experience. You know, I'm a cocky young guy from California. What are you going to do your first game? I tell him, I'm just going to back up all the hype I came up here with. And then so all that week, my teammates, the older guys, you better back it up, Bump. You better back it up. So then we're playing against Oregon at home. And um, they kicked the ball. This is a punt return. And I muffed it. But there was a penalty, so I got another opportunity. And one of my boys, Carl Payma, who got drafted in the third round, he's on the sideline. He's like, let's go, bump. I catch the punt. Boom, I take it to the house for my first touchdown. So that, oh. that was pretty awesome. Was it, was it relieving that you backed up the talk? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, that, I, honestly, that gave me my confidence. You didn't tell me nothing after that, Paul. I'm like, <laughs> man, I'm All-American, Pac-10, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> the one and only Michael Bumpus of the Sports Pit. And you're going to be on with uh, Stacey Ross later for Jake and Stacey? Yes, I am. All right, sounds great. Great to see you in person, Bump, as always. And uh, we'll listen to you in about uh, 15 minutes or so, 20 take minutes. Take care, take care. The one and only Michael Bumpus, everybody. All right, the question of the day on the Paul Gallant Show, the most interactive sports talk show in Seattle and Washington, nay, the world. If Kyle Seeger keeps playing this way, should the Mariners extend him? You get to answer that next. You're listening to Paul Gallant. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Every day at 10 on 710 ESPN Seattle. Seattle. The most interactive sports talk show in Seattle and Washington, nay, the world. You want to call in 206-421-3776? That's how you do it the old-fashioned way. You can text in 710-710 if you're someone like myself trapped on the Hellscape, that is Twitter. Akalon says you can do it that way, too. Let's go to the phones. Let's go to Joe. Joe Doyle, who writes for Lookout Landing. Joe, what's going on, buddy? What's going on, Paul? How you doing, man? I'm doing well. Okay, so weigh in on this. The question that we have today is if Kyle Seeger continues to play like this, and it's probably unrealistic to expect four for four nights with two home runs every single night, but if he keeps playing like this, trade deadline-wise, do you keep him around? Do you think about extending him? What say you? So, I mean, first and foremost, I would say I don't even think Kyle Seeger needs to play necessarily like this to to keep him around. Um, even if he's, you know, a, a 250 hitter and he hits 20 home runs, just based on pure value alone, I, I don't know why. I mean, I think you'd be making a mistake by letting him walk for the $15 million team option that the team has in 2022 because – my question to you and my question to the listeners would be, what, what's your backup plan? I mean, you get a 250, 255 hitter, 20 home runs, close to gold glove defense at third base for $15 million bucks for one more year. I mean, what's the backup plan? That's a great deal. I like that, too. And the defense gets understated with him, and it's hard to find that. And I, I think a couple of people are texting in and suggesting, all right, well, you're just going to put Ty France in at third base. And, okay, maybe, but you do want to have someone really good on the corners. And you have one, in at the very least, in Evan White, who maybe isn't the best hitter, but at the very least we know is a very good fielder. Yeah, that, that fielding side of Seager, definitely underrated. Yeah, you know, another thing that I think should just be brought up is Kyle Seager is one of the sole shining examples that Seattle can actually develop a position player 
no disrespect to the organization, but he's been here for 10 years. He's a career 250, 255 hitter. He's got over 200 home runs. You just, there isn't many examples of that in the last 10 or 15 years in the organization. And I'd say one other thing. For those that say, why don't we go get, why don't we go get Chris Bryant? Chris Bryant's going to be on the market. You know, that's a great player. Well, Chris Bryant, he's probably going to cost 26 to $30 million a year. And you have to commit to that for five years. And his shoulder was, was ground beef last year. I mean, he, he's not proven. Um, the thing about Seager is you don't have to necessarily extend him. You just, you just use the team option for 2022 and get one more year out of it. It's not like you're committing to a huge future with the guy. Joe, appreciate the phone call and call in again. And by the way, check out Joe's work at lookoutlanding.com. Joe, thank you, buddy. Yeah. All right, guys, the most interactive sports talk show in Seattle and Washington, nay, the world, 710-710 is the, is the text line. Uh, another texter to sort of the same point as, as Joe here. Why do you think it's so far-fetched for Corey Seager to sign in Seattle? So he was talking about Chris Bryant just a moment ago. The sexter continues. I think if Kyle stays, it's a huge possibility. If the team wants to contend, like Depoto says, you know we have to splash in free agency. You don't have to splash necessarily in free agency, but you do want to make good signings. I, I would point to, in Houston, Michael Brantley, the signing of him recently, really good signing. Really good signing by Houston a couple of years ago. Guy who dealt with a lot of injuries, he has been incredibly consistent. The text continues, we have an outfield but we need to sign a star infielder. I see Evan at first, Kyle at third. That leaves us to sign a big shortstop or second baseman if they really want to compete for the division. Like it's been stated, we have outfield prospects and players, but not really infielders. I do want to see them go all in on a shortstop, and I would really like to see that shortstop be Corey Seager would be great. I really would like to see Carlos Correa here. I know some of you guys think, oh, he's a cheater. Oh, boy. There is something about the way that he talked the talk last year and then delivered in the playoffs that makes me feel like that's the kind of person that you want to have in a high-stakes situation. The problem with him is he always gets injured, and he is probably going to look for some sort of ridiculous gargantuan contract. But at some point, the Mariners are going to have to start giving those out. I don't think extending Seager is going to be like that big of a problem for the team, and I think that's the interesting spot that we're in right now. I mean, you're in a spot where you can afford to just Give guys like James Paxton a one-year deal. You see what happens. You know, it stinks that James Paxton is likely going to need Tommy John surgery after yet another injury, but you're in a spot right now where you're not, you're not really hard-pressed as far as any, <laughs> anything that you need to pay you know, on the dockets or anything like that. You are essentially in a spot where you have a lot of flexibility, and I don't think like $10-plus million for Kyle Seeger, and I'd imagine they're not going to give him the same deal that he just signed with the Mariners. I don't think he would get that anywhere else. But there's got to be an element of if you're 33 years old and the contract is up where you would think, hey, I want to stay here. I've only played here my entirety, the entirety of my career. So to keep him around, I, 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 don't, think, I don't think it's bad. And I also am just hesitant to think that people are going to want to trade for him too. Like I, I, You might get something in return for him if he plays really well down the stretch. But how many teams are going to want to trade for a guy who has the entirety of his career played on a non-contender that also, as soon as you trade for him, you have to pay him an extra year of money. If that little poison pill deal on the contract wasn't there, I feel like we might be having a different conversation here, but I, I have just 
looked at Seager, and I, I, I think Seager has not consistently contributed, but when he's on his A game, like you saw yesterday, where he goes four for four with two home runs, including the game winner, it's hard to look at him and say to yourself, oh, well, this is just a guy that we're going to move on from so that we can get more and more prospects. Sometimes it's good to have a guy that you know exactly what he is. You know exactly what Kyle Seager is at this point in his career. I don't know if the the, the cliff is coming, the proverbial career cliff that we talk about so often with players as they get up there in age, but this is a guy that you know. This is a guy that you know can field. This is a guy that you know can provide you with power. Does all the things that you're basically looking for in baseball these days. A lot of things to go around for today's edition of the Paul Gallant Show. To our two callers, to Robert, to Joe, thank you so much. To the texters, to the tweeters, and of course to Michael Bumpus and Maura Dooley, who produces this show every single day. I am merely Paul Gallant. Danny O'Neill and I will be back at you tomorrow morning at 7 o'clock. So long, farewell, have yourselves a wonderful Monday.